Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. To live is to suffer. To survive is to find some meaning in the suffering. Friedrich Nietzsche. Howdy, dear listener, this is CJ, your friendly neighborhood guerrilla scholar warrior, one-man revolution, and renaissance man in this new, dark, and ever-darkening age in which we seem to find ourselves, doing my best to tend and defend this little light of mine in this dark age. And this is going to be a little bit of a kind of reflective and, I don't know, maybe announcement type of episode, just giving you some updates on what's going on and things like that. And, you know, if you're someone who is not interested in that, if you don't care, if you're not interested in what I have to say about, you know, what I've been up to lately and how things are going and things I've got in the works, then, you know, feel free to not listen to the rest of this episode. Stay tuned for the next big historical narrative episode or interview episode or whatever it is that you listen to the show for. But if you're in general just a fan of me and my work and want to know what's going on and all that stuff, then by all means, please listen on. Now, it would have been cool if this episode had been number 250 instead of 260, because that's even more of like a, you know, extra round square milestone, whatever you want to call it type number. But it's 260, so we'll have to go with what we got. But I'm calling it Straight Out of the Woodshed. Crazy motherfucker named CJ. Um, Straight Out of the Woodshed, and that's a reference to, if you don't know, the term woodshed or woodshedding, which is a musician term, and it refers to when a musician goes off in private, like, ideally, totally alone, maybe even in an isolated location, like a woodshed and just does very focused, intense practice. And the idea is if you're woodshedding properly, you like disappear for a little while, and then when you come back onto the scene and play live for the first time or whatever it is, like everyone is blown away that you've taken a quantum leap in your capabilities. And it's the idea that you get rewarded in public for what you do in private right? It's not 
the you know time you spend on stage in the spotlight playing where the greatness comes from. The greatness comes from the countless thousands of hours you spend when nobody's watching, nobody's listening, when you're staying home by yourself on Friday night to practice instead of going out and getting drunk with your friends, right? That was Eddie Van Halen's secret. I remember seeing an interview with him once where he said, you know, his brother and his friends, they'd all go out and party Friday, Saturday night. He would often just stay home by himself, just fiddling with the guitar, figuring out new licks and techniques and whatever. So. Um, in my case, you know, a lot of it lately has just been trying to get my head right and to recover from all that I've been dealing with. And so hopefully as I start to kind of reemerge and try to re-up the frequency of the show, you know, releases and whatever, hopefully as time goes on, you all will see the fruits of the time that I've been spending lately in the woodshed trying to get better and make myself better. And by the way, I can't help but mention there's the old kind of mythological story of Robert Johnson, the great blues musician of the early 20th century. And the myth is, of course, that he went and sold his soul to the devil. And it's, you know, a cool story and romantic and whatever, and I like it, but I don't believe it's literally true. But the more likely explanation, because the story of Robert Johnson is he started off as a blues musician and he was okay. You know, he was just kind of average, kind of mid. And then at one point he disappeared for a while. And then when he came back onto the scene, he was just like next level blowing everybody away. And, you know, that's where the story started that, oh, he went and sold his soul to the devil at a crossroads or whatever. But the more likely true explanation is that he was woodshedding, that he was, you know, doing intense practice, who knows, maybe even getting lessons from some more experienced musician or whatever, but that he's doing all that, you know, is quote unquote disappeared, but in reality, he's working his ass off on improving. And when he comes back into the public spotlight, he's, you know, better than he ever was. And so that's what I'm hoping all the work I'm doing on myself and on the podcast behind the scenes is going to turn into now as I hopefully am getting better and able to reemerge onto the scene. I'll tell you though, uh, and I'll probably mention in a little bit, some of what I've been dealing with in particular, I've been a lot slower. I've been putting in time, but it's, it's been a lot slower and more arduous on the large detailed, intense solo narrative history episodes like the Woodrow Wilson episodes or the future installments in the um, World War One propaganda in the U.S. series that I've only put out one episode of, you know, almost a year ago now. To do those, you know, when we're talking about a single episode that's three, four, five hours, that's got dozens of pages of notes that I'm using to do it and, you know, countless hours then of editing everything together um, in post. Those things are harder and taking me longer to do than they used to because my brain has been uh, so damaged and scrambled over the last few years. But I am slowly regaining my abilities. So this episode is inspired in part because I've been going through a lot lately, as those of you who follow me may be aware. And it just dawned on me the other day that this month, June of 2023, is the ninth year of when I began the Dangerous History Podcast. I published 
the very first episode of the show sometime in June of 2014. And it was, like many of my very first episodes, recorded in my car as I was commuting to and or from work. From St. Augustine, where I still lived at the time, to Palatka, where I still worked at the time and did until, you know, last year. And I was driving the original Silver Bullet in some of those early episodes, my 2003 Silver Ford Focus station wagon. Boy, what a sexy car that was. And then it was a matter of a few weeks or maybe a month or so after starting the podcast that I bought what I still have as my current Silver Bullet, even sexier. A 2014 Hyundai Accent hatchback in silver. And knock on wood, that thing is still kicking. It's got 170-something thousand miles on it and uh, isn't exactly the prettiest, most pristine thing around, but I guess it's just too mean to die. And good thing that it's still holding together, too, because right now I can't really afford much of a down payment for another car, and I probably couldn't handle another car payment at the moment. We're still making payments on my wife's current vehicle. But anyway, it's been a hell of a journey the last nine years of doing this podcast. First is just sort of a hobby and experiment, and then for a long time as a side hustle, and then for the last 10 months or so as my main gig. And I've been through a lot. And those of you who have been longtime listeners, you've been through a lot with me too, I'm sure. And I sure have learned a lot over those nine years. I've learned a lot about the nuts and bolts of podcasting and audio production and all that kind of stuff. And I've also learned a lot of additional history stuff that I didn't yet know in 2014. I mean, I knew a lot, but... You know, I keep learning new things all the time, reading new books and sources all the time. And I've learned and continue to learn and still have much to learn about being a solo entrepreneur and all that sort of stuff. And it's amazing to think that when I put out the very first DHP episode, my older child was only eight years old and my younger child No, sorry, screwed up the math in my head. This is why I taught history for 16 years, not math. My older child was nine years old, and my younger child was five years old. And they are now, as you would expect if you're better at math than me, they are now 14 and 18 respectively. So yeah, where the hell did those years go? All I can say is the cat's in the cradle and all that. And in fact, as I'm recording this episode, in literally three days... We are going to be moving my older child out of the house. She is going to be going off to the University of Florida in Gainesville, where she has a full tuition scholarship, still going to have to, for various ways, you know, combination of her getting some sort of part-time job, myself and my wife chipping in a bit, and then also a college savings account um, set up by a generous family member you know, to cover her room and board. And at least initially, she's going to be living on campus. She may move off campus after the first year or two. We'll see. But we're going to be moving her out of my house. So for the first time in her almost 18 and a half years, she is not going to be living under the same roof as me and my wife and uh, her younger sister. So that's a hell of a thing to be going through. And part of why I haven't been super prolific in publishing new episodes lately is that there's been a lot 
to do with that. There's been a lot of, you know, things for all of us, including me, to do in preparing for all of that, including um, just a couple of weeks ago, I took her to a two day long new student orientation thing at UF. And it was just me and her. Uh, my wife had work and stayed and, you know, my other child stayed at home as well um, for those two days. But she and I went and uh, had a Gainesville adventure for a couple of days as she attended various presentations varying from useful and helpful to useless and pointless, but it was required. So I'm going through a lot there, and then also my struggles and my recovery as far as my mental health goes, as far as, you know, continuing to stay off the booze and continuing to claw my way out of the depths of the really dark depression I was in from early 2020 until early 2023. And it's an ongoing battle. And I know that it never is fully going to end, you know, that I'm always going to have to for the rest of my life. I mean, I've been fighting the depression off and on since I was, you know, single digits in age. I lost the epigenetic lottery as far as genetic predispositions to that sort of thing. And then, you know, having enough traumas and, and things in my younger years that it, you know, triggered those epigenetically. So, um, it is what it is. It's not my fault, but you know, it's my responsibility. And, you know, my experience as far as recovering from alcoholism has been a long battle as well, where, you know, I want to say within about maybe three weeks of quitting, I was through most, perhaps all of like the short term alcohol withdrawal symptoms. I mean, I was bad enough of a habitual drunk. Um, I wasn't, you know, getting blasted every single night, but probably on average four to five nights a week. And then, you know, occasionally if I was particularly stressed or going through particularly hard times, it would be, you know, seven nights a week. Like when, uh, in spring of 2022, a dog bit me and I had to get rabies shots and all this sort of thing. I went on a bender after that happened that lasted for at least a full week, if not longer. And I was dealing with other stresses and problems simultaneous to that as well. So it wasn't just the dog bite, but that was the biggest trigger to that particular bender. But anyway, within about three weeks or so, I was mostly through the short-term alcohol withdrawal symptoms. And then I've just continued to have what I can only describe as intermittent flare-ups of long-term withdrawal symptoms off and on since then. And it's also difficult you know, sometimes to parse which symptoms when I'm, you know, not feeling well and feeling physical and mental problems, which symptoms are specifically from the legacy of the alcohol abuse and which are the symptoms of, you know, the depression and trying to deal with that. And it's all wrapped up together. But, you know, I am still talking to a therapist pretty regularly. I've had to miss a few weeks lately because I've been so busy with family obligations and other things. But, you know, typically I talk to my therapist once a week when something abnormal doesn't get in the way of it. And after the initial three or four weeks of making, you know, significant progress against the very short term symptoms, then I feel like I know I wasn't stagnating after that for the next few months, but I kind of feel like I was it just the, the progress was much slower. You know, there was like this initial burst of progress and then the, the curve of progress just became a lot less steep. And it's been frustrating. And very often what has happened is that I'll have 
flare-ups of brain fog and things like that, and flare-ups of depression, and then also a lot of days, not every day, but a lot of days, I just run out of mental kind of gas or energy somewhere by like mid to late afternoon. I do not have the stamina that I used to before I fell into the depths of really bad depression and drunkenness. My brain is still not uh, fully recovered and healed in a physical or mental sense. And it just, a lot of days, somewhere between like 3 p.m. and 5 p.m., it's just gone. My, my brain just shuts down. And as much as I try and, you know, David Goggins force myself to keep working on something I'm working on, I just can't when that happens. It just shuts down. And I have to just, you know, relax, watch TV, play a mindless vintage video game because I don't play any video games made in this century or something like that. And then, you know, try to get to sleep as early as I can and try to get as much sleep as I can. But the good news is that I feel like recently I've had another kind of significant spurt in recovering and gaining background in terms of my mental clarity, ability to focus, and my mental stamina. I mean, up until recently, it was so bad, I couldn't even, even in the morning often, when I was still, you know, feeling relatively good if I had had a decent night's sleep the night before, where I had a hard time even just sitting and reading the way I have, you know, my whole life since I was a little kid. I, I learned to read very young, and, you know, by the time I was in elementary school, I was reading Michael Crichton and Stephen King and stuff like that. And so I've always been a huge reader, and I've never really felt like as long as it was something even remotely interesting to me, I've never felt like reading was tiring. I felt like it was the opposite. And I would just sit there for hours reading. And ever since I abused and destroyed my own brain, it uh, it did a number on even that, where even reading was often exhausting and I couldn't do it for very long at a time. And I didn't have the mental focus and clarity and short-term memory to always keep track of what I had just read. And so I'd fall into the thing of like rereading the same uh, page or paragraph over and over and over again. And half the time, like not even really being able to tell you right after I read it, what I read. But according to the app on my phone that keeps track of this, I am at 128 days as of this recording of no alcohol. And I have to tell you, I don't know if it's the coincidence of the timing or if the big round numbers mean something, but I swear it was like right around exactly day 120 that I felt like my recovery took a significant bump where, like I said before, I had kind of felt like I was stagnating again. I know I wasn't really, but the progress was just way slow for, for months. And then right around day 120, I felt like I jumped up a level. And so here I am, you know, a little over a week later from that, and I feel like I'm back to making kind of steady progress, but maybe a little bit faster than I was, say, between like week three and day 120. So that's all good news. The bad news is I'm still not where I used to be and where I would like to be. And that's very frustrating. It's very frustrating to me because I used to be able to, if I wanted to or needed to, keep working. Remember, I started the Dangerous History podcast and did it for eight years 
as a side hustle while teaching college history full time. And so very often I was doing intense work. I mean, I did the Civil War series. I started the Woodrow Wilson series, you know, further back. I did the American Revolution series. And these all involve massive amounts of reading and prep and recording and editing and so on. And I did all that while I was still teaching full time. And so I was doing a lot of that, you know, uh, nights, weekends, super early mornings, that sort of thing, wherever I could fit it in. And I just since you know, the 2020 to 2023 breakdown that I went through where I got into probably the worst depression of my adult life and, you know, really developed a drinking problem in a serious way for the first time in my life. I haven't been able to do that. And I was a high functioning drinker. I mean, I was, you know, going to work, doing my job. I was still paying my bills. I was still, you know, taking care of most of my family responsibilities. I might've occasionally been a little cranky if I was extra hungover or something like that, but like I was doing what I needed to do. But of course, my brain had become dependent on the self-medication of the alcohol to keep functioning. And then you take that away and it takes a long time to fully heal from that and to fully readjust back to functioning well without that crutch. And so I'm still not where I was and I don't know how far I am from. It's hard to like quantify or estimate, but I'm still for sure not where I was, say, circa 2019, which in terms of physical and mental health, was probably the best year of my adult life. So that's the annoying news. That's the frustrating news. I mean, the good news is I'm way better than I was a few months ago or even a few weeks ago, and I feel like I'm gaining ground almost every day, but I still am not where I was in terms of my ability to focus for long periods of time, my stamina to work longer stretches, and little things like Short and long-term memory are not as good as they used to be, but I'm doing things, I'm, I'm doing various things uh, as far as supplements, and meditation is actually uh, a huge help, and I can definitely feel it when I don't meditate for a day or two. And then, of course, physical exercise has been a huge help as well in helping me regain my physical and mental health, my energy levels, my focus, and all that. And like I said, still talking to a therapist on a regular basis. And, you know, I've got a good support network of friends, family, and professionals who are helping me. So anyway, I really do feel like I'm on the right track. It's just frustrating. You know, I wish I could make quicker progress and all that stuff. And anyway, I just wanted to let you all know about all of that, not because I am asking for your pity, you know, a little bit of sympathy or empathy, especially if you're somebody who's gone through anything like this. Okay, fine. But I'm, I'm not like begging for, for pity or something like this. And I want to be very clear too, because some of you, like, I'm sure you have good intentions, but it's not helpful to me. I am not telling you about what I've been going through because I'm soliciting advice from you. I am not. Please do not send me any unsolicited advice as far as, you know, what things I should do, what supplements I should take, what program I should join, what religion I should adopt. That's a complete waste of your time, and it's a waste of my time if you're sending that to me, you know, via email or social media messages or whatever. Just ask yourself how helpful and appreciated unsolicited advice generally is for you when you're going through some things and dealing with it, right? How often is it that the unsolicited advice is actually good advice 
And even if it is, how likely is it that you're going to take it when it comes in that form? So please do not send me unsolicited advice. I'm doing my own research, believe it or not, as somebody who taught college history for 16 years and who has done a history podcast for nine years, I'm actually pretty good at doing my own research. And in addition to that, I'm working with my own, you know, support network of friends, family, sponsors, not in an official capacity. I'm not part of a 12-step program and I don't intend to do a 12-step program, but, you know, people who are unofficially kind of performing the function of something like an AA sponsor for me. And I have my own therapist who is very good and is very experienced in helping people with depression and addiction and specifically alcoholism. And I've got various supplements and various other, you know, treatment things that I'm doing. So I do not want, and I am not asking for any unsolicited advice. And some of it's been really tone deaf. I mean, people trying to tell me that the only solution to my problems is to convert to their particular religion. I've had people tell me, even after I've been successfully off the booze for months, that I still need to do AA. And again, this this dogmatic, one-size-fits-all mindset that some people have. Like, look, if AA works for you and you're happy with it, good for you. More power to you. I'm not telling you you're wrong or it's bad. I don't take dogmatic approaches to things like this. My approach to whether it's, you know, getting in shape, getting healthy, losing weight, working on your mental health, quitting an addiction, my view is always no one approach is going to be one size fits all, work equally well for every individual. Every individual is unique and every individual ideally should do their own research, thinking their own kind of, you know, self-experimentation and figure out what combination of things works for them. I have a lot of things that I like about the 12-step program, you know, AA approach, but I certainly have things that I do not like, do not agree with, and that I know would not work for me personally about those programs. And so I'm taking the same approach to that as I would to something like martial arts, which is the Bruce Lee approach of, you know, figure out what works for you and, you know, adopt that, work on that, but don't feel like you have to dogmatically adhere to one particular prepackaged one-size-fits-all system that claims to be the answer for every person in every situation. By the way, I have read the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. I am very familiar with the teachings of AA and how it works. And the parts of that that I agree with and that I think will work for me and benefit me as a unique individual, I have been happy to adopt. But don't give me unsolicited advice, please. All you're doing is wasting your time in writing me that email. You're wasting my time because I open your email and then at least start to read it to see what it is. And probably I delete it after I realize it's just unsolicited advice. But still, you're wasting my time. You're wasting my energy and mental bandwidth with it. And there's pretty much a 99.99999% chance that no matter what it is, I'm not going to do it. Or I'm already doing it because here's the reality. If whatever it is you're advising me to do to help myself is something that is likely to actually help me and work for me, odds are I'm already doing it. And if it's something that I'm not already doing, odds are it's something I'm aware of, I've already either looked into or even tried, and for one reason or another decided it's not going to work for me, or I tried it and it didn't work for me, so... 
you know, it's kind of similar with, and this pisses me off too. And again, I know you don't mean badly, those of you who have done this when you do it, but it pisses me off and wastes my time. I'm just being honest. When people send me suggestions for DHP show topics. Now, if you're somebody who gave me a hefty contribution on um, Indiegogo to commission um, an episode or a mini series on a particular topic, that's different. You know, you bought my my time and my loyalty and my, you know, doing, doing what you're suggesting. So like, that's a, that's a transactional thing. I'm happy to do my best to try and deliver, but you know, unless you're paying me a hefty amount of money to get me to do a particular topic, please don't send me a suggestion saying, have you ever thought about doing the French revolution? Because I can pretty much guarantee you if the topic that you're going to suggest to me is a good one, I've probably already either done it or already have it on my gigantic list of topics to eventually do if I keep doing this show long enough. So again, I understand that those of you who have sent me unsolicited advice, I know you mean well, but you have to have a little bit of self-awareness here. That's a shitty way to communicate. You should never give unsolicited advice to somebody. It's terrible communication. Even if your advice is good advice, the person you're giving it to is likely to not listen, not take it, be annoyed by it, whatever. It's just terrible communication uh, strategy. And, you know, maybe go listen to the talk I did at the last Tom Woods School of Life event in Orlando to get some ideas about better ways to communicate with people. And giving unsolicited advice of saying, you know, oh, you should this supplement or eat this food or you should convert to this religion or you should join this program. That is possibly the worst way to try to communicate with somebody, persuade them, uh, help them. So please, if that's you, please don't send me that stuff anymore. And rethink if you, if you do that in your own personal life to people around you, please rethink doing that to them because uh, your odds of success are going to be very low. And you're just wasting your time and pissing off the recipient of the unsolicited advice. And by the way, I'm sure it's not intentional, but very often those sorts of messages come off as very arrogant and condescending in tone. When you're dogmatically telling me I have to do this one thing in order to fix myself. I don't share what I've been going through because I want pity. And I don't share it because I want unsolicited advice. The main reasons I share it with you are number one, so that you understand what I'm going through and realize, you know, if you're not seeing episodes from me super frequently, why, or at least part of why. And the second thing is, I hope that in talking about some of my mental health struggles in particular, that some of you listening who have, because you know, I was in denial about how bad my problems were for quite a while. That's very normal. And I'm hoping that some of you will hear me talk about my problems. And maybe if you have some significant problems of your own that you're not fully, you know, to grips with, that it will cause you to maybe, you know, seek out some help and maybe try and alter uh, your behavior patterns and, you know, quit a dangerous addiction or, you know, get on a treatment program for depression or whatever it might be that you're grappling with. And by the way, that is what me talking about some of these stuff, uh, these sorts of things has done. I got a lot of people, a lot of positive feedback from the special episode I did a few months ago, three years to flatten the world, 
where I really got into all my struggles with depression and alcohol over the last three years. I heard from many people, and this is the kind of email, by the way, I like getting, not unsolicited advice, but people saying, hey, I really appreciate you having the courage and honesty to, you know, share some of what you went through. And it caused me to realize, you know, I've got XYZ problem and I'm going to go try to get help. Like, those are the sorts of emails that really mean a lot to me and like, you know, perk me up if I'm having a rough day. And by the way, that's another thing I wanted to mention to you all. I still have rough days, even though on average I'm getting better day to day and week to week. I still have days where for one reason or another, I just have a shit day where I'm just just in a, in a dark depression or just feeling terrible or just feeling extremely um, exhausted and lethargic for sometimes reasons I, I can't put my finger on. Sometimes it's obvious, like if I don't sleep well for a day or two, I know why I feel like shit. And sometimes it's it's not so obvious. But anyway, by the way, that um, DHP special episode on uh, three years to flatten the world, that was an episode that I put out a few months ago. I left it up for maybe a month or two, and then I deleted it from the public DHP feed. When I have an episode that I call a DHP special and there's not like any kind of a number to it or whatever, typically what that means is that's something I'm going to put on the public feed and on the supporters feeds, but it's only going to be on the public feed for a limited time. And then I'm going to delete it off the public feed and just leave it only on the supporters feed. I did that with some of the special episodes, for example, that I did about the Indiegogo campaign and quitting my job a year ago. However, I have heard from a bunch of people um, specifically about the three years to flatten the world episode. And some people have said, I really appreciated that episode. It really meant a lot to me and gave me a lot to think about. Where did it go? Why can't I want to listen to it again? Why can't I listen to it again? And I've had to say, well, I took it off the public feed. I didn't intend to leave it on the public feed indefinitely. Um, that said, you know, um, I would consider putting it back out on the public feed, either for a limited time again or maybe leaving it indefinitely. If if it really is, you think, you know, going to help people to hear me tell my story on that stuff. So, you know, if you're somebody who's in that boat, who maybe you haven't listened to that episode because you only found my show recently, or maybe you listened to that episode on the public feed when it came out and it meant a lot to you and you'd like to hear it again, but, you know, you can't afford five bucks a month. And if you can't afford five bucks a month, man, you do need help because you're in worse shape than I am if that's the case. Um, but, you know, feel free to to send me an email or a message if if you really think I ought to put it back out on the public feed again. And I'll consider doing it if enough people, you know, say so. Oh, and before I forget, I do want to um, include a little bit of good news bright spot. And that is my rescue bunny, Errol. He is continuing to do great and thrive and be awesome and he is continuing to be the best mammal non-human friend I've ever had. He is so helpful to me almost every day if I'm home and don't have, you know, something abnormal going on. Almost every day in the evening where very often my brain is completely fried and I can't, you know, do anything intense and half the time I'm uh, feeling depressed and or angry and or anxious. I'll typically have Errol come up on my bed. We have a special blanket we put down for him that, you know, he's pretty good about being potty trained, but, you know, every now and then he'll take a leak outside of his litter box. But, um, you know, we have a special blanket for him, so he's not on the actual sheets we sleep on, you know, directly. But we have him up there, and usually for around two hours each evening, as myself and my wife and sometimes our kids with us, you know, are just watching TV and unwinding 
and tired and frazzled from the day. Uh, we have our Errol time, and it's quite therapeutic. He is so friendly to people. He really doesn't like other rabbits, but he loves people, and he acts like a really friendly dog or a super abnormally friendly cat. And, you know, even with dogs and cats, there's not too many that will happily spend one, two, three hours just, you know, sitting with you, being your cuddle friend, wanting to get petted. And, um, you know, if he's up there for two hours with us, he'll spend most of that time smooshed up against one or more of us, you know, in, in turn, um, getting petted. He loves being petted. He does a little bunny version of purring, if you know what that is. And he'll occasionally get up to stretch a little bit or to, you know, go munch on a little snack or to go use his litter box, which we put in the corner of the bed um, when we're doing this. Um, But other than that, he spends, you know, sometimes multiple hours totally happy just hanging out with us and getting petted. And um, it really is a therapeutic thing at the end of the day for me. And at the um, nudging of my wife and kids, I did, um, I forget, a month or so ago, start an Instagram page for Errol, and I will try to remember to link to it in the show notes. Nothing related to this podcast other than it's me, you know, running it, and it's my pet. You know, no history, no politics, just cute pet reels and pictures. And, um, you know, I try to come up with clever or heartfelt captions and I try to, I put a lot of thought into choosing and fitting the soundtrack to each one, whether it's a still picture or a video. So if you do follow my Errol Puppy Bunny page, make sure you always have the sound on whenever you view one of the posts. But anyway, for anybody who's interested in following In my opinion, the cutest, friendliest pet rabbit in the world. That's where you can do it. And um, for those of you who didn't catch the story I told in the Three Years to Flatten the World episode about how I got him, basically, he was a rescue. He was found by a very kind young lady on the streets of South Florida. He was, you know, loose somehow. He either was let loose by somebody or he escaped. And um, he had been you know, living wild on the streets for who knows how long. So he didn't look good and, um, was kind of raggedy looking. And, uh, he, he had gotten into a fight with something. We don't know what, you know, might've been a dog. Maybe it was another rabbit and, you know, the custody of whoever his previous owner was, but he's got scars on his head and his ears. And, um, he's a lot bunny and his ears are a little bit, even kind of like ripped up. One of them in particular, his right ear. Um, I call it his lucky ear kind of like, Nemo's lucky fin in Finding Nemo, you know, where it's, it's tattered, but in a way it's lucky because he survived. And so I've been doing everything I can to help him recover from what he's been through. Uh, once I adopted him a few months ago from the nice young lady who saved him from the streets and he's been helping me very much to recover from all of the shit that I've been through. So We've been great recovery buddies, which is exactly what I was hoping for when I decided I wanted to adopt him. And I had no idea that he would be literally the most people-friendly, puppy-dog-like bunny that I've ever encountered. And, you know, my wife and daughters have had bunches of pet bunnies over the years, and most of them have been pretty friendly and nice. But 
Errol Puppy Bunny is on a whole nother level. So um, if you like cute pet videos and pictures and whatever, follow that on Instagram. I try to post at least one thing every day, unless I'm, you know, out of town or traveling or whatever. Just a cute little, you know, positive thing, a little pick-me-up uh, is how I see it. And who knows, maybe eventually I'll develop enough of a following there that I'll be able to get some pet supply companies to give me some free stuff and maybe some money to help uh, pay for the occasional vet bill or whatever, who knows. When I was first starting the Instagram page for Errol, and by the way, I'm totally new to Instagram with this, I, I never really have done anything with it before. Um, but when I was first starting the Errol Instagram page, my wife kind of jokingly said, wouldn't it be funny if eventually Errol earns you more money than your podcast? And I kind of laughed. And then I said, you know what? If that's how it ends up working, I'd be fine with that. Even though I've put way more uh, hours and years of blood, sweat and tears into the DHP. If cute little videos of the best pet bunny in the world ended up actually making me more money than the DHP did, there's worse things that could happen, you know? I think I'd be all right with it. I'm beyond the point of feeling a whole lot like my pride is the most important thing at this point in my life. Other than that, I'm working on a ton of stuff behind the scenes. I'm going to try to put out little shorter episodes more frequently going forward as my um, mental capacity and endurance continues to slowly improve. But I'm also continuing to work on big long-term, you know, large episodes behind the scenes, like the next Woodrow Wilson episode and the special Wilson's Banana Wars bonus episode only for Patreon and subscribe star supporters, those sorts of things. And um, I've got a bunch of other stuff I'm working on on the back end that I'm not going to talk about yet, you know, potential um, new collaborations and monetization streams and opportunities and products and things that are in the works behind the scenes. And then also I'm continuing to gradually learn about video, about recording, editing, etc. video, which is, you know, brand new to me. I've only really been working on it seriously for maybe a month or two. And um, I do want to do more stuff with video going forward, but it's a slow process. You know, it took me a long time to get pretty good where I was, you know, pretty comfortable and pretty capable uh, with audio. And, you know, I'm not naturally a tech guy. That sort of stuff is kind of slow going for me, but um, I am working on video stuff. That's another thing I'm working on behind the scenes. So anyway, uh, stay tuned for more stuff from me going forward. And um, just a reminder that you can get on my email list and get my free Dangerous American History Bibliography by going to DangerousBib.com and signing up there. So anyway, thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.